0: How are we doing? Man, I was reminded this week that, uh, you know, we always say Jesus is the reason for the season, but you know that's not true. That you and I are the reason for the season because Jesus has always been, he didn't need a Christmas day in remembrance of what he did, but Christmas was for us. It was to remind us that he has come and he took on a throne in a manger. And it was a king. He was a rightful king born in this small place of Bethlehem. But today, Jesus has a new throne. And hey, everybody, there's a day that there will be a second coming and he will come back because he has prepared us a new home. Amen? Amen. And it's going to be ready. And so, this Christmas season, what we really want to do is talk about why it is that Jesus even came because it was a rescue mission for us, because the world had just gone. Crazy from Genesis chapter 3, right? Like, we, we read Genesis chapter 1, and it's wonderful. Like, in the beginning, God created, and He creates all these wonderful things he, the animals, the skies, the heavens. And then in chapter 2, it's going well, and He creates man and He creates woman, and, and they, they're together, and, and there's this bond between them. And then in Genesis chapter 3, things start out okay, but then all of a sudden, they eat some probably, uh, you know, Christmas fruitcake or something like that, that that messed everything up. And then Man, God said, it's okay. I, I got a story of redemption. I got a story about how all this is going to play out. How many of you know that the Bible is always pointing to something greater? It's not about David. It's a greater king. It's not about a little small city. It's about the greater city uh, of the kingdom of heaven. Like, there's always something greater that's being pushed because Jesus realized that, that we needed to be rescued. And, and this Christmas season, we're taking a different approach, looking at this rescue mission that, that Jesus was on, when he came for us to, to redeem and to renew. And last week we talked about how Jesus came to rescue us from our traditions. We get so caught up in the hustle and bustle that we miss the real reason of why we celebrate what we do. You know, y'all remember that whole story last weekend. But this weekend I want to talk to you about how he came to rescue us from a broken world. Now, would you agree with me that we live in a broken world? Uh, and if you, if you don't know the answer to that question, uh, just grab your phone real quick and Google anything on the news, and then you get back with me and let me know if you think we live in a broken world. I want to look this morning from a uh, not so familiar Christmas passage. It's not Christmas at all, but it's in 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I want to read to you this morning. I want to give you some points, show you some things, and we're going to tie this thing in a beautiful little Christmas bow when we're all done. But I want to talk to you about the kindness of David. Everybody needs a little bit of kindness, don't we? Like those videos, I don't know how you do, but I'll I'll get stuff that'll pop up in an Instagram reel or on YouTube. These videos of people just being super kind to people. Um, I I don't know what it is about soldiers coming home. I always feel myself starting to cry when I see those videos. Um, The Sarah McLaughlin videos about the puppies and all that, that one doesn't get me as much, but you know, to each his own. But look look at what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're talking about King David here. And it said, and and David said, now you got to understand, David is the second king in the history of all of Israel. Okay. Second king in the history of all of Israel. He's been waiting a while for this. Um, He was anointed at a young age. Remember he was a shepherd boy in the fields. They came to him and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel, but it wasn't his time. So David had to wait on his time to be king. Well, now the time has come and the Bible says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Saul, was the first king of Israel. God appointed, put him into power, and he ruined it. And so part of the the process is when he ruined it, the consequence was you will no longer be king and I will get rid of your entire household. They also will no longer be able to have a seat to the throne. And so David takes power and he says, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him, what's that word right there? They show him what? Kindness for Jonathan's sake. He says, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul? Then I may show them, let's say that word again, show them what? Kindness Kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. You got to understand this about Jonathan. Jonathan was best friends with David. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne because his father was Saul. But because of his father's sins, Jonathan will never get the opportunity to be the next king of Israel. So instead, this prince becomes a best friend to a shepherd. And not only that, we read in the scriptures that Jonathan wasn't angry about not being able to be the king, he recognized what God had done and that God had appointed. And so what we see is Jonathan and his friendship with David develop over time to the point where uh, Jonathan starts giving him things as symbolic of, I know that you're my king. Even though it's my throne, my father lost that for me, but this is your throne, you're going to be the next king. And so Jonathan being the best friend, when the new power comes into play, Saul's family leaves Jerusalem out of fear that David and his new government is going to take them all out. And so what we see here is he says, I want to know where they are, if there's still anybody, because I want to show them not death, not I want to take them out. I need to know. I need to put some spies out there. I want to show them kindness. I know that things didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go, because here's the thing. Uh, You may have ticked off some people in your life, but have you ever had a spear thrown at you by your best friend's dad? right? He was on the run from Saul for a while. And there was a part of him who was like, now that David has power, maybe he's going to come back and take some people out. But David's like, no, no, no. I want to show some kindness because that's who I am. I'm the king, I set an example, and I want to show some kindness towards Saul's family. So Jonathan has a son whose name is Mephibosheth. Okay? That's going to be fun for the next few minutes of trying to say that repeatedly without messing it up. So y'all keep count. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. And he, he is the son that it's talking about here that he, we know where he is. Like It says that there's still this son, but he's crippled to his feet. Here's what I love about the Bible. It always gives us these details of what is happening. So it tells us that Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was crippled. But if you'll go to 2 Samuel chapter 4, we learn why. His son was crippled because Saul had a little issue and had to evacuate his family. Kind of a, you know, this is becoming a regular occurrence with Saul, which is why he's no longer king. And they had to evacuate. So the babysitter grabs Mephibosheth and drops him. And he becomes crippled for the rest of his life. Uh, No longer, they weren't allowed to babysit anymore. They lost all their credentials. That was a done deal. Probably died. King Saul probably took him out. But at five years old, we learn that Mephibosheth goes crippled for the rest of his life. Now, I want you to catch something here. In this passage, there is a transfer of power from one kingdom to the next kingdom. Okay, you following me? This is the gospel. It's one kingdom to the next kingdom, and then there's a fall. You following me? We get that in Genesis chapter 3. And then when there's a fall, we're left broken. And this is where we are in the story. This is the gospel being played out right in front of us in the story of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It is a kingdom power that is being moved. And there was a fall, and after the fall there was a brokenness. So you need something to fix the brokenness. And so here we are. Mephibosheth is born in royalty. His family killed in battle. He goes into hiding. He is crippled. And Mephibosheth is living as an outcast. He can't do anything, so he is dependent on all these outside resources for his survival. And in the first two verses, we read the word kindness. That's what he needed. Instead of running from fear, David wants to offer him kindness. And when the Bible talks about kindness, it's this. This is the definition of kindness. Kindness is speaking of God's posture and his tone of his voice towards his children. That is what kindness is. It is the posture of God and the tone of his voice towards his children. How he speaks to us. Now, we know from the scripture, God speaks to us in love, mercy, and grace, right? He's a loving, kind, caring father. Kindness is the is speaking of God's posture and his tone of voice towards his children. Think about your marriage. You often think that. Hey, I'm paying the bills, I wash these dishes, I did some work around the house, I cut the grass, I trimmed the hedges, I folded some clothes after being in there for three days instead of five days, and I'm doing all these things, and all those things are good to do in your marriage, right? But, but, what if you had the wrong posture with that, and every time that you folded clothes, washed dishes, you rolled your eyes, you made noises, Y'all, some of you feel guilty, that's not really guilt. That's more like um, conviction, maybe. And, um, and you, you start talking under your breath, and you hear the voice from another room. Who are you talking to? I ain't, I ain't talking to nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree when you do those things, it takes away the gesture? I don't care if you're washing the dishes. You're going, I hope that your fingers get all wrinkly and you lose your wedding band down the drain. That's, that's like When you start complaining about the thing that you do, it changes the whole gesture. It, it doesn't even matter anymore. Who cares that you washed the dishes? You washed it with the wrong attitude. You, you, you washed them with the wrong attitude. You folded with the wrong attitude. man, And then you start critiquing because the towels aren't even folded the way they're supposed to be. And the t-shirts are not the way they're supposed to be. And then somebody threw a pink shirt in with a white load of clothes. Anybody been there? It changes the whole gesture because kindness is a behavior it's a behavior choice and not a feeling. It's not that I just feel this way. It's a choice that I'm going to make a choice to be kind. I'm going to be I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to speak of God's posture in his tone of voice towards uh, towards his children, towards you. People are gonna talk that way towards me that when I do things, that I do it with the right attitudes. And I'm not grumbling, complaining, I'm not doing any of those things because I'm making a decision that I'm going to be kind no matter what comes my way. Because there's times we're like that, they don't I'm not giving I'm not gonna be kind to them. You know, when you're in the long lines this Christmas, like Hobby Lobby, they employ three people to run their register. <laughs> why? I know your question is, why were you in Hobby Lobby? Listen, I was in there two times two weeks ago in the same week, but it was by accident. And so, but, but you have that one lady that's got like one thing in her, her buggy, right? And you're, you finally, after waiting for 10 minutes in line, the one lady with the one thing in her buggy and part of you is like, I should be kind and let her, let her get her, because she's got one thing or she's got two things. Y'all, y'all been here in this place? And, and the Spirit says you should let her in front of you, but the, but the flesh is like, no, nah, man, she needs to go to the end of the line. She should have gone to Express Checkout over there and checked her own self out. Because, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decision. It's a choice in the behavior I'm, I'm going I'm to be kind. Because you don't know what that act of kindness is going to do for somebody. You have no idea. So we have to understand that that kindness is a behavior choice. It's not a feeling. It's, kindness is the currency of all healthy relationships. It'll tell you if a, if a relationship is healthy, not by the way people act or treat one another. So true kindness is counterculture in every way. Because the culture would say, wait in line, wait your turn, i got to go first. It's about me. I've got to do my thing. I've got things to do. My time's way more important. I would even say it this way too, of like putting that shopping cart back in the buggy return instead of right beside your car. I'm going to let that one simmer for just a minute because that, that, I hate that one when I see people just drop the buggy. And then I can't park because they blocked off five spots with one buggy because they were too lazy to walk 15 feet back. Let me tell you, if, don't hire those people. If they won't move a buggy 15 feet, they will definitely not be doing anything for you. You know what I mean? I'm trying to be kind when I say that. <laughs> but I want you to, it's, 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 not, it's not culture. But since when are we supposed to be playing in the culture? We live in a different culture. We live in a kingdom culture. And I want you to look what David did because he's, he's showing us this example. This is David's time to be the king. I got power. I can do whatever I want, man. I can put statues up in front of the temple of me because I'm the king. I can have people feeding me grapes and waving fans over me all day as I sit out in the sunlight by my fresh, paid for by the taxes of the people's pool. But David says, no, 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 no. Even though I have this power, I am a servant to the people. And even though Saul wanted to kill me, and Saul didn't like me, and even lied about me and his daughter's, I have to show kindness because I am not of this culture. I am a leader and I'm going to set something different. And I want you to watch what he does. Because everybody thought by him asking this question that he wanted to have the whole family of Saul killed. Where Anybody left of Saul's family. So their first instinct was he wants to kill him. But David's posture was to sacrifice and give his descendants a seat at the table of the king. Because kindness is carrying the culture of the kingdom of God. We never know what the power of kindness can do. When we act in this way, it has the power to change people's lives. Kindness changes things, it changes lives. You don't believe me? Go to Haiti. Go to a country like Haiti. And when you, many of you are giving every month, we're giving and we're writing checks to Haiti, and we're sending money to Haiti to help feed families that food's so hard to get to. It's opening their ears to the gospel through the missionaries that are there, living there, through the people that are living there, through the churches that are there. It's their kindness of giving this food that opens up the conversation for the gospel. And churches are being started all over the country of Haiti. It's the same place in Jamaica. Well, Jamaica is a vacation spot. You know, people in Jamaica go to hell too. I don't know if y'all knew that, but it's the same hell. Um, Don't let the blue clean waters make you feel like, oh no, they're perfectly fine. They have cruise ships. Um, they don't have Jesus. And when we send people there, when we send resources there, through the kindness and the generosity of a church body, when we do that in our community, we are opening up kindness, which opens up conversations, which God intervenes in, and salvation will be on the other end of the conversation. It's the kindness and the acts. I remember, I'm where I'm at today, because there were two men, named Brian Hart and Ken Hux, who were volunteering at the church, and they showed up on a visitation on a Monday night at my house when I gave my life to Christ because they were kind. And there were other things they could have been doing. But it's through the way that we we carry the culture of the kingdom, that it's not about us. God will take care of us, but we need to do what we've been empowered to do to reach people. So God has been kind to us, and because he's been kind to us, what happens is we need to reciprocate that. We need to be kind to other people. We extend that to people, even people that we feel like don't deserve it. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? The first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. Now, I'm pretty sure if we were hanging on that cross after everything that happened, that would not have been our first words from the cross. It would have been like, you can go ahead and strike them all down like Elijah did. Every one of them. They can burn. Attack them with gnats, let them like mosquitoes, constant, like get them. But Jesus said, no, no, forgive, forgive these people. So look what happens in verse 4. It says, the king said to him, well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of my car, the son of Amelia, at Lodabar. Say that word with me, Lodabar. Lodabar is important. We just read it as a place and skim right over that. But you know what Lodabar means? It means place of the desert. He's had to run for his life in the middle of the desert. What is in the desert? Well, let me help you with that. Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. And in the Israeli desert in the summer, if you were to scan the surface temperature of the, of the ground, it's like 135 degrees. Like you can literally cook an egg. You do not. I don't know how they walked around with sandals all the time because the ground is so hot. And he goes to the desert where there's no resources. There's nothing out there because he's fearing for his life. And this is a person who is dependent on other people to help. His reality, his reality is a desert place, no resource. He's in a place of shame. He's in a place of hiding, fearing for his life. It sounds like a lot of us, when we're in our own load of bars, we're in our own places that seem hopeless and desolate, and we don't have any resources. We're struggling for hope, and you feel like you're in a desert place. And that's a lot of people around this time of year, isn't it? I mean, this is the season where the highest rates of suicide happen. In a season that is all about hope. Why? Because the church is silent. And not just silent during December, the church is typically silent year round. We will push all of our incredible events that will save no one. But what about Jesus, who saves everything? he's out here struggling for hope. Now, if that's you this season, let me just tell you something. I want to remind you that there is a king named Jesus who came on a rescue mission for you. For you. He's here. And this king pulls people out of shame. He pulls people out of hiding. And he pulls them into a promised land of salvation. That's what he does. So David asks, where is he? And Ziba says, he's in the desert. That's a long way. But David says, no problem. So David sends somebody to go and rescue him. He sends him out. So then King David sent, and he said he brought him from the house of Mikar to the son of and at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, and he fell on his face, and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I'm going to show you what? kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David looked at him and said, hey, do not fear. Don't be worried. Don't be concerned. Why? Because he's in hiding in the desert and all of a sudden he sees dust coming down the road and it's the king's chariots and the king's men coming to his home. So his first thought would have to be fear, because I'm about to die. They're coming for me. They found me. Somebody ratted me out. And there's a knock on the door, and he hears the king wants to see you. He wants to talk to you. Now, he knows who the king is. He knows it's David. He knows the history of that's what's happened. And he says, the king wants to see you. But instead of his fears coming true of death, he gets grace. He gets a lot of grace. Because King David extended the same grace that he had received. He's extending that to him. He's giving him the grace. of I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to, you don't need to fear. Because David is living, instead of living like the culture that was around him, he is living according to the covenant that God had given him. And there's a big difference in the truth. And so Mephibosheth gets grace. And now look what he says in verse 8. And he paid homage and he said, uh, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as a?" We have to be very careful how we talk to ourselves. Very careful. He calls himself a dead dog. What good is a dead dog? No good. I I thought it was a trick question. It ain't no good. I mean, unless y'all are doing something with dead dogs I don't know about, but (laughs) dead dogs are no good. And he says, I'm a dead dog, and we need to be careful how we talk about ourselves because if you want to live a life that's filled with purpose, you can't be casting that stuff on you. You can't be putting names and labels on yourself that Jesus never gave you. Do you hear me? Because some of you have put labels on yourselves that God did not give you. And if it didn't come from God, where would it come from? It came from the enemy who is out to get you. We're going to talk about that next week when we talk about how he came to rescue us from condemnation. But the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he'll call you whatever he needs to call you to get you off of what God has for you and put you in that Lodabar when God's trying to bring you back into Israel, a promised land. And so he's saying, I'm just, I'm just a dog, man. I'm just a dead dog. I am no good. I stink. I'm, not, I'm, I'm no good. you got to be careful how you talk to yourself. Be careful how you talk to yourself about yourself. Talk to yourself about what Jesus has said about yourself. If you'll talk to yourself about what Jesus did and preach the gospel to yourself every day, you're going to be pretty good. You're going to be good. He says in verse 9, Then the king called Ziba and saw his servants and said to him, And what is this word right here? Because this is an important word. It says that he said to him, all, not some of it, not a little bit of it, all that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And he said, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. And you shall bring uh, bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth said, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot of Christmas presents for 15 sons. You know what I mean? Like Ziba Ziba broke. That's what he is. Um, He's going to need some Dave Ramsey uh, Financial Peace University right here. And um, It says that Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do some Mephibosheth, eight at David's table, like one of the king's sons. From desert to king's table. From brokenness, fallen, to restoration. This is the picture foreshadowing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. David was a great king. Like I said earlier, we know that every word in the Bible points to something greater. Every testimony points to a greater testimony. Every king points to a greater king, and that king is Jesus. Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus is how he came on a rescue mission for people who were living in rebellion, who were being habitual about their sin, they're willingful, uh, willingly sinning, and with this self-sacrifice, he adopts them into his family. We have been adopted into the family, even though we once were enemies of God. Think about that word for a second: enemies of God. No thanks, I don't want to be on that side, right? But we were once enemies he's adopted us into the family, Jesus, the great rescuer, shows up, and he shows us God's posture towards us and shows us his tone of voice with us. And when you experience this kind of kindness, guess what? It changes everything. Verse 12 says this, And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Now, Micah means who was like God. Who was like God. Um, Mephibosheth means... I had this written down somewhere in my notes. His name means something that was important. Uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I think it was Voice of Shame or, or something of that, that nature. But Micah, his son, is, is who is like God. What an interesting name that God had given Mephibosheth years before this encounter. That he is sitting at a king's table only by the hand of God and the grace of God. And he says that he's Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. And so he lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And now was and now he was lame in both his feet. I I thought that was a weird line right there at the end to remind us of his crippledness and his brokenness. But then I thought, sometimes we get so caught up on what we don't have that we miss the very table that we get to sit at. That we we miss this all-you-can-eat buffet with the king because of this one little thing that is just bothering us with our lives, that it has taken full focus. He did not get the healing. He's not running in the next Olympic triathlon, but instead he is sitting, postured before the king at his table and reaps all the benefits. But I want you to notice that Micah, the son reaps all of the benefits. This is called generational impact. Generational impact. His son, his his kindness towards Mephibosheth's life pays off for Mephibosheth, but it also pays off for his children and his children and his children. See, sometimes some of the prayers that you're praying is not just for right now. Sometimes they're generational prayers that God's going to answer down the line. And we miss that. That when we show kindness to somebody, it may not just be in that one moment that changes somebody's life because they hear from God. It might be generational that we don't know. I wonder, like, if Billy Graham, when he got to heaven, they're like, hey man, we just want to let you know all the lives that you touched when you preached. You think he would be astonished at all the lives that were touched? All the people that gave their lives to Christ? I wonder what will happen when we get to the other side. And God says, I want, to show you. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Steve. I don't know Steve. Oh, Steve is a direct result because uh, you were kind to this person and shared the gospel with this person. And then Steve uh, was a direct tie to 10 other people in line before it finally got to Steve. You ever think about that? Because some of you are here because of that. Some of you are a fourth, fifth, sixth generation of an invitation that happened six, four generations ago. Isn't that interesting? I love this verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to redemption. When we operate the way that we're supposed to in, in God, his kindness leads us to salvation. It's his kindness. You think about it. What did you have to do for salvation? Nothing. It cost you nothing. That God, It was a gift. It was grace. It was a gift to you. All you have to do is accept the gift. That's kindness. If I walked up today and handed you a million dollar check, just sit here. Here's a million bucks. What are you doing? I, I promise you, if I gave somebody a check right now, we would all hear tires screeching in the parking lot because you're going to the bank to make sure that thing clears real quick, right? That, you can do it on your phone. Some of you just hear you see lights popping up. Don't you think about it? What did you do to deserve it? Nothing. You ever been given something you didn't deserve? Let's talk about our school grades for a minute. You know there was that one test that you know what you deserved. You know there was that one parent teacher conference that you knew. It's com- like my, my parents are about to figure it all out. Like my whole witness protection program program here in the school. It's done because the teacher's about to wrap me up. Or you see that teacher, remember, oh gosh, I remember one time I saw my math teacher in Bilo. <laughs> and I knew math was not my strong suit. I was math Gnostic, I didn't believe in math. So anytime that they give me a bad grade, it was uh, religious persecution, is what I like to call it. And I remember seeing Mr. Manning in, in, the, in the aisle at Bilo, and I thought, oh my gosh. My dad's about to come this way. I got to do whatever I can to dip and dive to the cereal aisle or in the freezer section. I got to do something because I don't want to be caught. And I remember Mr. Manning walked that corner, and he and my dad connected. Boom. Like, it's over. Like, I'm just contemplating. Like, it was was a good 14 years of life. It was got a lot accomplished. And there was a lot of grace that day because Mr. Manning did not wrap me up. Oh, by the way, do you know what he did on Friday on his test? He didn't do any of that stuff. He waited until Monday to do that. But that's beyond the point. But it was something I didn't deserve. Like, he should have said something. Should have done something. See, we did really, really bad on the test. Genesis chapter 3. And instead of God being like... All right, it was done. It was, good. it was a good run. We had a good chapter one, chapter two, but it's, it's done. God gave us what we did not deserve, which was Jesus, and that was grace. That's kindness. Kindness masks itself in grace because we do things for people that oftentimes we're like, I don't, they don't deserve that, they don't need that, they don't get that. But what, what if? what if that was the way to salvation for them? Because the Bible says that is what leads us to salvation. When you really contemplate it and you begin thinking through why you're even here, why you took a breath this morning, grace. Right? Because somebody didn't. We're here healthy for the most part, right? We have a over our heads. It's, it's grace, it's God, it's, it's, it's grace. And, and here's, here's what I want to lead you to today. We have an opportunity as, as followers of Christ to help people who do not know him, especially during the season, because listen, people are more aware of what's going on, that there's, there's a bigger picture in the Christmas season and they're more prone to Listen. Because of things that they're facing, things they're struggling with, issues they're having, they're willing to hear if there's a relationship established. And if we will take just a few minutes to lend our ear and listen and have conversations and pray with people and pray for people and send encouraging text messages, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I still believe that holding a door for somebody can change the world you ever notice that when you open a door for somebody, if there's two sets of doors, if you open the first set of doors for somebody, what happens at the second set of doors? They will typically open it for you. A little bit of kindness goes a long way because it can be the very thing that leads them to God. And we know that, that when they experience the kindness of God, it leads to salvation. It leads to them experiencing all of this, grace and mercy and peace. We are In this story, we would be Mephibosheth, broken, hiding, alone, and the king would be Jesus coming to get us and to bring us out of our desolation into a place of promise and a place of hope. And so this morning, we need to be reminded that he has come to rescue us from this broken world. We can make a difference in the world one conversation at a time, one door holding at a time. Do this this week. Just do this for me. Make a commitment to hold a door open for somebody when they're walking into a building. Even if you have to wait two minutes, open the door for them and just let God work in that situation because you don't know. It might be an answer to their prayer. might be an answer. You never know. What ways can you be kind this week? to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much today. We thank you for your kindness. God, that we're here because of it. We're, we're saved because of your kindness. And Lord, I just pray, um, we see in this story that you, you've come to rescue us. I love the fact that David did not know it in the moment, but what you were doing was writing the, the foreshadowing to the gospel of what you were going to do in the New Testament. So, Lord, today I just pray we'll do two things right now as we're getting ready to sing and lift our voices to you. Number one, I pray, God, that you would convict us of where we're not being kind, whether it's through our words or through our actions or through our deeds. God, and I pray not just with those, how, we, how we live it, but God, I pray too that we would focus on your kindness. We just sang just a few minutes ago the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful and realize that your kindness is what's gotten us here. So Jesus, move in this room right now and I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.